and welcome to Rewire with Duchess Dale. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides tips and information that turn into inspiration for living your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess. Thank you for joining me on this wonderful month of love where we are into Love Rewired Part 3. And for any new listeners, the idea of Love Rewired is to give us a chance to look at the idea, the concept, and the experience of love with fresh eyes, way beyond just Valentine's, candies, and roses. It's almost the end of the month, which I don't know how that happened. And I read a quote from author and life coach Paulette Sun Davis, and she said, quote, If you're feeling like you're wasting time, you probably are. If you think that time is slipping away unproductively, trust that instinct. It may be a signal for you to pause and notice what you're focusing on. Consider this. You can't manage time. You can only manage your commitments. Each minute is a precious opportunity to create, grow, and move closer to what matters most. End quote. Wise words that inspired me because, for some reason, I'm feeling overly motivated to get things done and start new projects. Being at the end of the month, I know it's not even time for spring cleaning yet, although I did start this weekend while my husband was out of town. I also read a wonderful little piece from abcnews.com, an article in January about a woman named Suzanne Volpe, V-O-L-P-E. For the last 10 years, Suzanne has embraced a project called Scarf Bombing. (laughs) You heard me correctly, Scarf Bombing. This has become Volpe's passion, and what she, as a 71-year-old retiree, does is she and friends crochet scarves all year long to be able to give them away to people who need them during the winter months. And she lived in Pennsylvania, so I'm sure she faced some pretty cold winters. Suzanne Volpe also launched the Scarf Bombardiers Facebook group in 2015, which was a way to invite and encourage others to get on board with the idea of creating scarves, collecting scarves, and then what they do is they put little tags on each scarf, tags that read, if you're cold and you need a scarf, take this. Then volunteers and friends take the scarves with the little tags on it and they hang them on fences or poles or trees in communities and areas of their city for people to find and use. I thought this was a great idea. It reminded me of something I used to do last winter, which is I go to the thrift stores and I buy men's and women's socks gloves and scarves. Then I put them in little brown lunch paper sacks and I mark each sack with a little sticker so I know which socks and gloves are for men, which ones are for women. Back during the pandemic, I would put little sanitizer hand wipes in them as well. I create little separate brown bags, literally doggy bags, because I put grain-free biscuits inside those bags with paw prints on them so I can hand them to people on the street corners who also have a dog. Then I got to thinking the other day, wouldn't it be great if I could do something else to help people through the winter? And in a recent meditation, I had the idea of 
getting those Mylar blankets to hand out. You're all familiar with these little blankets because you see them in every cop show that you watch and all of the first responders hand them out to people who have just gone through some sort of extreme emergency. They think they're even called space blankets. I thought if I could add that to the little bags and hand them out, it could help and make a difference. Then I had another idea of wouldn't it be great if I had a whole bunch of yoga mats, new or used, that I could hand out to people that I know, unfortunately, are sleeping on the street or bus benches. Now, please understand, these ideas are not in lieu of each of us, all of us, our cities, communities, legislators, etc., taking the time and action that is necessary to find ways to solve the problem of people being unhoused so that they have food, shelter, and employment. I just know that this is an inexpensive way for a temporary act of kindness to get people through brutal winters and these tough times. Random acts of kindness are equally as important as the ones we plan to do. One of the love languages we spoke about two weeks ago is the love language of service. This, for me, is a way that I practice service. This is a way that a person can outpicture their givingness of love and compassion and caring through acts of service. So my next guest, Doug Calderwood, is going to talk about a way of being of service that has added benefits. Today, my guest is Doug Calderwood, and he works directly at the New Mexico Aging and Long-Term Services Department. Rather than me trying to explain his title or his position, I'm going to ask Doug to tell us a little bit about himself and his job. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, Duchess. It's great to be here. I really appreciate this opportunity. I am a longtime employee of the Aging and Long-Term Services Department. My title is actually Bureau Chief of the Employment Programs Bureau, which, to be honest, is a bigger sounding title than perhaps the job warrants. We have three different programs that provide employment for older adults, especially low-income older adults, and those that are struggling to find work or struggling with work in general. That's sort of our mission and our goal. The three programs, one is a federal program that is all over the country. It's called the Senior Community Service Employment Program, or CSEP for short. It is specifically for people who are very low income and have barriers to employment. What it provides is a half-time minimum wage job with either a nonprofit or a government agency so that people can gain skills, can gain work experience, can build a resume, and then hopefully go on to working in a position that's not subsidized by the government. The second program is called the New Mexico Senior Employment Program. It's very similar to the federal one. The difference is it's funded by state funds. And state funds give us a little bit more flexibility than the federal funds. We can include some people that are slightly higher in income or have slightly fewer barriers to employment. Those are the two sort of basic programs. And then the third program is the one we're going to be talking about today and spending a lot of time on. At the conference on aging last year, I met you and I also met Daniela and Michelle. You teased me with this new program that was going to be launched in 2024. Today, I am here to say, go for it. Give us the scoop on what this new program is. The name of the program is Community Supporting Older Adults in New Mexico. 
The acronym is CSOA, and we pronounce it CSOA. Because it's a government program, it has to have an acronym. I think that's a weird. (laughs) What the program is, is we are looking for older adults, people who are 55 or older, and who are somewhat low income. This program, we can go up to 400% of federal poverty level, which comes into around the forty-five dollars to $50,000 range. It's not super low income. We're looking for those people that we can then train to be what's called a community health worker. A community health worker is a very specific designation. After the training, you can get certified as a community health worker by the state of New Mexico. It then becomes a credential that you have and could go on to other work in other places. All of the Medicare and Medicaid serving agencies hire community health workers. So there's lots of jobs available once people have gone through this training and done it for a little bit in our program. Then they certainly are job opportunities. They could move on to regular employment in the community and helping helping those in their community with all sorts of issues. Community health worker may sound like it's mostly health-related, and it it broadly is health-related. but Community health workers deal with anything that can affect your health. It could be housing, could be food access, could be access to health care, it could be getting you to your doctor's appointments, could be working with a lung or a chronic illness like diabetes or heart disease and helping people sort of learn what are the ways they can control that long term so that they end up going to the doctor maybe a little bit less or ending up in the emergency room fewer times than they might otherwise. Community health workers are there working in their communities. They're hopefully people that have been in those communities for a long time. They know the resources. They know the people. They know what works in that community, what doesn't work, what are issues, what resources may be scarce, what resources they know they can find for sure. The idea is basically to meet people where they are in their own communities and try and build the best possible outcomes so that they can be as healthy as they can, live well, stay in their own homes if possible, and not have to go to a long-term care facility. Those are kind of the goals of what a community health worker is is trying to do. Those are fantastic goals. I mean, you get every once in a while you'd say something that would be like, ooh, first of all, what caught me was that it's giving an opportunity for older adults 55 and up who aren't ready to retire, who have a lot to offer and need a purpose and employment. That's great. I love how it's addressing all of those issues for someone, as you said, health and housing and keeping people out of long-term care facilities for as long as possible. That's fantastic. You mentioned about knowing the resources of the areas that these people will work in. And so it sounds to me kind of like you're a matchmaker. And if someone comes to you and says, well, I'd like to do this, then you try to put that applicant in an area that they either live in or are familiar with and triage their skill sets. Is Am I right on that? You are correct. Yes. Sometimes we stretch that a little bit. If we have Three people from one community, we might see if one of them can work in a neighboring community or something like that. As much as we can, we try to place people where they're familiar, where they're comfortable, where they already know people and resources. We find that that helps the program as well as them. Our focus is 
on rural areas. We're actually starting in the center of New Mexico, the areas surrounding Albuquerque. Albuquerque, as we all know, has the most resources in New Mexico. However, some of those areas just outside Albuquerque could use some assistance. We're looking at Isleta Pueblo, at the Pueblos on the north side of Albuquerque, Santa Ana. And, uh, we're also looking on the west side of Albuquerque, perhaps even out to Grants. And then the east side of Albuquerque, in the East Mountains, and into Moriarty and Edgewood. But the areas surrounding Albuquerque is where we're starting. And then we're hoping maybe by the end of 2024 to be able to expand beyond the metro area. We're starting here as a pilot project to test the training, to test the model and see how it goes. Hopefully we can expand more statewide. In addition to this podcast, how are you getting the information out? How would someone who might want to avail themselves of this service or an applicant who might want to apply to do this work? You can certainly call me. My name again is Doug Calderwood, and my phone number is area code 505-228-6143. My email address is my name, Doug.Calderwood, and then it's at ALTSD, which stands for Aging and Long-Term Services Department, dot nm.gov. And NM, of course, is New Mexico, and gov is what you get for every government program. Doug.Calderwood at altsd.nm.gov. We also have in the Aging and Long-Term Services Department a number that you can call from anywhere, 1-800-432-2080. That gets you to the Aging and Disability Resource Center, and they also can connect you with our program. If someone's listening and needs the service, or if someone's going, ooh, work, purpose, new start, they know how to find you. I know you have a training coming up, and that is for applicants who have already applied. As you might guess, the training to become a community health worker is fairly extensive. It's about 100 hours of training, and we're planning to do it spread out over about six weeks. We're starting those six weeks for our first group, and we're starting March 1st. We should have this first round of training done sometime around the middle of April. Then We'll be working with them, getting them going in their communities. Probably around June, we'll be hoping to have another round of training. So the first round starting in March, second round probably about two to three months later in June, early July. How many people are in the charter class here? The charter class is small and we're keeping it that way on purpose. We're having four people for this first class and then we're hoping to have at least four for that second one later in the summer. Does the training take place online or in Albuquerque? It'll be somewhat of a hybrid, somewhat of a combination of online and in Albuquerque, but we definitely need at least some of it to be in person in Albuquerque because this kind of work is all about dealing with people and about exploring your own values and feelings and knowledge of resources and your own fears about what you might encounter. And so we like to have the group together to support each other and to be supported by the teachers. I think some of that you lose when you're online, but some of it will definitely be online. I think probably the sections that are much more content-oriented and maybe less emotional and support-oriented. How did you go about selecting the facilitators or trainers for this program? The facilitators and trainers also have to be trained in a curriculum that's put together by the New Mexico Department of Health. That's the first requirement is they have to have completed that training. 
two of the trainers are the Michelle and Daniela that you met. They actually have another colleague whose name is Terrence, and he will be the supervisor of this program through those three are definitely trainers. I may do a couple of classes because I do have that training. And another woman in our office, Patricia Tupper, she's going to be a trainer as well. We're going to bring in several others, maybe for special topics or their areas of expertise, that kind of thing. To do 100 hours of training, you need more than one or two people. Great idea. You mentioned that Daniela and Michelle and Terrence are from University of New Mexico. So it's a combination of the aging and long-term services department team, along with these people from UNM, pulling resources and wisdom together for this new program. Yes, actually, because community health workers need a very specific set of knowledge and the supervisors need to be well-versed in healthcare as well as social service, we have we, the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, have contracted with UNM to be the supervisors for this program. And our third partner, of course, is the Department of Health, because they provide the curriculum, they provide the certification of our community health workers. So there's really three groups that are involved at some level in this project. Is there any cost to either a person that's about to receive this wonderful program with one of these healthcare workers, or a cost for an applicant for the training? No, there is no cost if you're accepted into the program. Aging and long-term services will pay all of the costs. The basic thing is we'll do an interview, assuming that we accept you, then all costs are covered. In fact, we are paying $15 an hour or 20 hours a week during the training period and for a while afterwards as people learn the skills, and we are hoping that they'll go on and find community health worker jobs after they receive the training. They not only have no costs, but they get them stipend while they're being trained. That's very generous, and the stipend is a helpful incentive in terms of maybe someone who has to commute a little bit more to get to the training site when it's not hybrid. That's really wonderful, really well thought out. Is there anything that you would want to share with the listeners that we haven't covered about this new program? We're also looking for partners in our communities. If you know a local senior center or a local community center, if you are related somehow to a clinic in your community, if you believe that you know a group of people in your community that can benefit from community health workers, please give us a call. Once again, you can call me. I'll repeat that number one more time. I know my number is area code 505-228-6143. So please, if this jogs your thinking a little bit and you think, you know what, that pharmacy down the street, I know there are lots of older people there that seem to need assistance and maybe need some help in thinking through their long-term health issues. Or if at your church, perhaps, you know there's a group of older people that could use some help. Anything like that. We'd love to partner with communities and groups in your communities. Please get in touch with us. We'll do everything we can. As we've said, we're starting off small, so it might take us a while, but we certainly want to know. And even if we can't help you right now, we're connected to a lot of other programs and possibilities. And so it's worth giving us a call. We'll do our very best. I would say so. I'm very excited about the program. I think it's innovative and yet 
personal that's going to be a great service to the citizens of New Mexico, both those who receive the service and those who are going to be trained to be able to offer the service. <laughs> I guess I'd just say one more thing. If you were a friend or 55 or older and think that being a community health worker sounds good, uh, we will be looking for more community health workers, maybe not until about June, but it's coming up fast. Time flies. And so think about, think about contacting us. We can get you an application and you may need to wait a little bit to get in the program, but we definitely want you. Any or all of you have an invitation to come back if somewhere around May you think, okay, there's a window of time for the applications. We can do a really short little snippet interview to say, remember what we talked about on this episode and how to apply again so that we can make it available. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. Thank you again for joining us today, Doug, and make the rest of the day fantastic. You as well. Thank you so much, Doug. This was fun. I enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again. This Saturday, February 24th, happens to be National Tortilla Chip Day. <laughs> I'm laughing because I think that's pretty much every day here in the state of New Mexico. And here's something that you can do to offset all those extra chips you might be planning to eat. Tomorrow, Thursday, February 22nd, the New Mexico Aging and Long-Term Services Department is going to broadcast the video from the event that took place last month at the Santa Fe Roundhouse launching the Blue Zones Initiative. You know, I've been talking about the Blue Zones. This is a project created by author Dan Butner as a way to improve the health and the longevity of people and their communities, and you get to view it for free tomorrow. One o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Take note of that if you're listening and want to view it and you're not in New Mexico. If you go to the New Mexico Aging and Long-Term Services Facebook page, if you are already on Facebook, or you can go onto YouTube and look for New Mexico Aging. We have our own channel. And there you'll get to see Dan Butner talk about the ideas of the Blue Zone, the history of the Blue Zone, and more importantly, how New Mexico can become the first Blue Zone state in the nation with your help so that we can achieve this milestone and encourage your family, friends, and colleagues to live a healthier, more vibrant life by following this program. Here's a flashback moment. Do you remember when or how you learned to write? Handwriting. I remember in school, for me, it was called penmanship. Other people know it as cursive. And cursive writing is any form of penmanship in which the characters are written, joined together in a flowing manner instead of printing or in contrast to block letters. Many of us who weren't training to become doctors, knowing how to write out prescriptions, worked very hard at penmanship, and we worked very hard, definitely, on our own personal signatures. This week, my husband and I were having a conversation, and he happened to mention that he read that cursive is being removed from the public school systems. Teachers are not going to teach kids how to do penmanship. I was startled and horrified by that, even though scientific studies help prove that cursive boosts brain power. 
In the magazine The Week for February 16th, scientists at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology came up with the conclusion after an extensive study that cursive handwriting promotes learning better than typing on a keyboard. That probably won't come as a big shock to you. It didn't to me. Ironically, not long after reading that article, we watched an Abbott Elementary episode. There was a scene in the lunchroom where the teachers were talking, and one of the teachers ripped off a page off the bulletin board, and it had cursive handwriting because she was so angry that it was now not being taught. I saw that piece of paper, and it got very nostalgic. Do you remember that rectangle paper? It's kind of gray, and it had very specific lines on it that you could practice your handwriting. Often, the teacher would send extra pages of paper home with you so you could continue to practice. Audrey Vandermeer told Time Magazine that after that study was completed, they recommend and encourage schools to assign children written, not typed, homework or classwork, at least through middle school. And they added that even university students should consider handwriting their notes rather than using a laptop. This might be important information that you can share with your children and grandchildren to help boost their brain capacity, as well as maybe your own. Signing off, at least audibly this week, (laughs) reminding you to refresh, rewrite, and rewire with us next week. Our show is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. You can contact that department by calling 1-800-432-2080 or online at www.aging.nm.gov. Our original music is written by New Mexico's own Lydia Clark. Join us next week on your favorite streaming platform. Till then, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire. We've got information and inspiration.